Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week, I bring you stories of inspiration, education, and of course, my biggest word of all is to give hope. But I want, before we get started, to give a shout out to my studio sponsor, The Motivated Mind Group, your global creative agency located here in downtown Chandler, Arizona. Without them, I wouldn't have a place to call home and bring you Stories of Hope, so thank you. Today my guest is Kimberly Gonzalez, and she was diagnosed at the age of 12 with two autoimmune diseases and then another at the age of 21. And that's not all. Her disease has taken her through many struggles, including having two strokes and the loss of seven of her fingers. But she remains optimistic in her journey with the beauty of second chances. And I pause because who gets second chances? And when we have something that happened to us, how do we even think that it's considered a second chance? But we'll let her explain. Please help me welcome my guest today, Kimberly Gonzalez. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Christine, how are you? I am good, it's so good to see you again. <laughs> I know, 2020 feels like a while ago for me. It does. So much has happened in that time. We've grown or we've found different things about ourselves and then we got to reconnect as well. Exactly. It's crazy how we connected in the first place. It was through Lewis Howe Challenge and because we had the opportunity to like all be at home and be on the computer, that's how we connected. Personal challenges. I think everybody had that pushed on them in the 2020 year. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. And I definitely took advantage of that time. You did, because then we got to meet one another. So when we talk about challenges and second chances, we had talked a couple of years ago where you had let me know that at the age of 12, you were diagnosed with two different autoimmune diseases. And now, being uneducated to it, I heard immune autoimmune, I think it's only one thing. And in fact, I learned it's a lot of different things. And yours actually started with the age of eight, but not truly diagnosed until you were 12. Please tell us what those two autoimmune diseases were and then what happened at 21, you were diagnosed with yet another autoimmune disease. Yes, so at the age of eight, I went to a lake and my fingers came out purple and I was, I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with arthritis. So I've lost seven fingers to date and hopefully mm. that's it. Um, and at the age of 12, because I was still feeling bad, the medicine wasn't working, my mother took me to the doctor and there they diagnosed me with scleroderma renals. So that's why I lost fing uh, seven, seven fingertips because uh, scleroderma is a skin tightening condition and Raynaud's is a cause of low circulation to the outer extremities. So then both of those together is how I lost my fingers. And at the age of 21, I got two strokes and being 21, the doctors didn't know why. And so that led to me being in the hospital for like um, like two months, I believe. And there I was diagnosed with APS, that's antiphospholipid syndrome, where your own body creates blood clots. Oh, wow. Yes, and I'll be 26 in November, so I'm very blessed. So you explained what each of these are, and autoimmune, I, like I said, it's only one word to me, but I, I understand there's more to it than just autoimmune. There's different parts of it. Can you explain what those different parts are? Yes. I mean, autoimmune disease, it's like a tree, you know? So you get diagnosed with one, and then you tend to get a bunch of other ones. And 
I think up to date, there's like 16,000 autoimmune diseases. I don't know exactly. I mean, when I started sharing my story and getting into the autoimmune disease community, that's where I learned so many. And they're all somewhat connected. And a lot of them are caused by stress. And it's crazy because, you know, everyone has stress in their lives. There's not, yeah. there's not a way to get rid of it. No, no. Well, there is if you do meditation if you want to or you realize that you're coming on to something, but you're right, we can't avoid stress. Something in our yeah. lives is always going to do something. So with you being diagnosed at such a young age, and I'd mentioned eight, what exactly was going on that they finally realized that it was what they found it to be? I mean, that seems to be awfully young to have an autoimmune disease, at least in my oh. opinion. Yes, I mean, it's, it's crazy because in the time where I'm supposed to be living as a child, carefree, stress-free, you know, I was dealing with this thing where it's like you go to the doctors and they give you like adult words. And, oh. you know, I had to grow up really fast, but mm -hmm. I'm very grateful because that allowed me to have a mindset to where now I can connect to anyone and have conversations like this. And I'm very strong-minded and, you know, nothing stops me. I like that attitude. So, Will, what was it like as a kid then, not really understanding what it was that you were diagnosed with? Did it change the way you were able to play or how to function, go to school? What, what was it? Yeah, like my whole world turned upside down. I was a very outgoing child and then growing up with this disease, it made me like where I call it like a mask because I, I tend to be very shy and I didn't really share with anyone except my family um, about my disease. So they're the ones that saw me struggle, um, but I wouldn't talk about it through school. So no one ever realized what I was going through it was like I was hiding this, you know, part of my life. I was like Hannah Montana living two different worlds and, you know, always smiling. Though. That's something that I'm grateful for. I never stopped smiling. A smile is the best thing ever. It's a great asset to have. So as a child, did this keep you from going and playing? What did it do? Um, as a child, because I didn't know to what um, degree of pain I could handle, you know, I was still able to play the violin and I was a cheerleader, um, you know, going to high school and stuff. And I still live my life because I didn't know to what, like, because my body, I, from what I remember, it's always been in pain. So I don't know what it's like not to be in pain. So that was a oh, good wow. thing. You know, I, would, I wasn't able to distinguish the amount of pain that I was actually going through because now give me a violin and oh my God, I would be crying in pain right now. You made me just realize something, and that's why I love doing what I'm doing is there's so many things that we take for granted, right? You've mentioned you lost seven fingers. I have all of mine. Um, there are things that you just mentioned as far as you didn't know anything other than pain, yet we complain, oh, my back hurts, or I've got a headache, or whatever it is that we feel to say that we can't tolerate, yet that's what your norm was, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, when I realized, like, when I got to the age of, like, 18, and I started really realizing, I'm like, pain is not normal. <laughs> You know, like I shouldn't be feeling this way, but I did. And that was my everyday, that was my whole life. I don't remember what it's like not being in pain. So in a way it helped me. That's I think why I'm so comfortable in my own body. Um, and I don't have like regrets of like, oh, I wish I didn't have it. 
I wish I didn't have this illness. I could have been different because this is just the body that I was given. Now you talked about having two strokes. That is such a young age to have strokes. Um, I've never experienced it. So how did this set you back? I mean, I'm going to assume that you also probably had to, I don't know the extent of the strokes, to know what it didn't do or did do to you. Can you help me understand what these strokes did or keep you from? Yes, definitely. Basically, the strokes really made me reevaluate my life. I had to learn how to talk, and I forgot a lot of my Spanish, and I'm bilingual, so Spanish is always, I grew up speaking Spanish, so having to relearn that was definitely a challenge. I had to relearn how to walk, being that I was in a wheelchair uh, for like six months. I had to do therapy. I had to relearn how to write. I cannot write to the extent that I could before. My handwriting looks like an eight-year-old, but you know, I can write. And that you can, which comes to the part of you not having seven of your fingers. Where, when did you start losing your fingers and what was it the result of? Oh, I see that. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. I'm sorry, my dogs are here with me. That's okay, that's okay. So when was the first experience that you were actually losing a finger, and, and how did that affect you? I mean, if I was to lose my finger, it, it's definitely going to be a new norm for me. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> when was the first age? When That's okay. When was the first time you actually lost? I mean, I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, you have to educate me here how that, oh. how that came about. <laughs> Was it through treatments and then the treatments were something that it wasn't allowing circulation to your fingers? What, what was the, the loss or the reason for the loss of your fingers? So the very first one, to this day, it's super sensitive because it wasn't amputated. It came off on its own. So what happens with scleroderma and Raynaud's, it gets to a stage called gangrene where it's like part of your finger dies and it feels awful because part of there is sensation and part of there isn't. Um, and it was, it's a funny story looking back at it now. I was 18. I was just going into my senior year and we were at a, what was it called? A Hardee's. And it was my dad or my sister and the finger had already died, but because it was my very first finger, I had no clue. So it was kind of like, I have to learn as I go, you know? So looking back, um, it was a very traumatic experience. Uh, I was playing with my dad, you know, I was tickling him, and then all of a sudden, this piece of my finger comes off, and, I mean, to this day, it looks like that, it's super sensitive, Um, but in that moment, I remember, like, I was frozen in shock, and my dad was, um, I remember he was like, he was like, Kimberly, don't look, and he went outside to, um, get the piece of the finger knowing that it was dead now that's why it's funny but I guess he wanted to conserve that piece to take it to the doctor to see if they can reattach it um but it was a super traumatic experience for me I just remember freezing and that's it I don't remember how we got home I don't remember anything after that I think the mind um protects us you know that fight or flight kind of thing and it says I'm gonna protect you and so you didn't even have the option to even feel or think about that emotion Um, so you lost the first one and then now you have seven that are gone. So was it through time, a a short period of time? I mean, is it treatments that, that came about where now the body was getting used to doing this? Is it part of the disease? 
so after 18 like i mentioned I, that's where i lost my first finger and that was that was good i was able to graduate all well i was going to the gym right after high school i really really got into fitness and i really think that's what saved me so i started losing my fingers after my stroke after 21 oh, um wow. because of my blood condition and then my skin tightening and, and it all happened in a time span of six months like it was just one after another after another so by the time i was mentally preparing myself to lose another finger another one was gone so it all happened oh very rapidly and i mean to this day i don't i can't you know i'm it's funny to say the word grateful but i am because god didn't allow me to like think what will my life be without having these fingers it was like it happened so rapidly and right now it's kind of like frozen so that's why i say i'm grateful because i mean it happened so fast i didn't even get a chance to like really think about it oh grateful is a good word to use i use it every day so no it's not it's not unusual because you still have other parts of you and you have okay. you also so um how is it today with having these three diagnoses i mean is it as um new when you first were learning of it it's i guess i would say take me through a day of kimberly um with having an autoimmune not one not two yeah. but three well it's uh having an autoimmune disease obviously every day is going to be different i mean some days i have more pain than others and some days i just stay in bed because the pain is like so bad i physically can't do anything but on average i want to say my my pain is uh stable and it allows me to you know go to like do my podcast i actually traveled in july because of my autoimmune diseases i was able to travel with a company called patients rising and share my mm. story with congress i mean it's amazing and again i'm very grateful that i i have these autoimmune diseases and that i'm grateful that i can talk and share my story because I know I'm just one of many young adults living with autoimmune diseases. So do you have to change your diet? Do you have to have treatments? What is what is an autoimmune that you have to be cautious about? Definitely the most important one is APS, antiphospholipid syndrome. Those are the ones, that's the autoimmune disease that caused me to have the stroke. So I have to be very careful. I'm on a blood thinner for life. And mm -hmm. I have to be cautious to not eat vitamin K, which is greens, which I'm grateful <laughs> that I, I don't <laughs> like greens anyways. Um, and <laughs> my treatments vary. So right now I'm in a treatment called hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and I have 15 treatments left. But it helps you to get um, oxygen all over your body, which is something that uh, my you know, my autoimmune disease lacks is oxygen. So and that allows me to heal faster. Um, so right now I want to say I'm stable and I've learned to live with my circumstances, you know, you just, it's just like, you know, I wasn't given a choice. So this is what I have to do now. Now you talk about having to have oxygen, but then you also mentioned that you have so many treatments left. And then you also mentioned you have to be on a blood thinner for life. How do those all work together? Um, cause to me, it seems like that would be separating that you don't need it to have what your body says it does need. So can you explain why you said you only need so many more treatments for the oxygen versus doing that for the rest of your life with like the blood thinner? Oh yeah, so the blood thinner is a for sure thing. Like no matter what treatments or anything, I'm definitely gonna have to take that for the rest of my life. 
but the oxygen, the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, I can only get when I have like a wound that's not healing. So right now it's on my toe. So with Raynaud's, my toe stays purple. And so to avoid losing it, that's when I get the treatment. So I usually get 40 treatments every year. And so that's why I say right now I have 15 left because after, oh, did I freeze for a second? Okay. So after after those 40 treatments end, um, they say that the oxygen remains in your body. So I get them every time I get like a severe wound that's taking forever to heal. So it's only when you have to attend to the wound. And so if there isn't one, then you don't need the oxygen is what you're saying. Yes, correct. So you said each year it's 40. So then maybe next year you'll have to have oxygen again. So this is just per year increments. Yes, only because okay. my disease kind of worsens throughout the years. And so oh. like last year I had three three open wounds that wouldn't that would take forever to heal. So based on the type of wounds, I can either get more or less treatments. But up until now it's been forty every year. So hopefully next year I won't need it, but you know, who knows? <laughs> So now you talked about oxygen as one of the treatments, the blood thinners. Do you have to take any medications? Oh yeah, I take. Let's see, I take about seven. I take seven in the morning, four for lunch, and then six in the afternoon. So yeah, I take medications all day, every day. But it's funny, my sister actually bought me a shot that says these are for my medications. So I always say I'm taking shots. <laughs> oh. Um. So now, you said sometimes you don't get out of bed because you're in so much pain. So what is your energy level on a regular basis? I mean, do you get to go out and play? We've heard the dogs, so I'm assuming that you at least get to go outside and play with the dogs. Yes, I, you know, based on my amount of pain, I want to say that the only days that I stay in bed is when I have a pain level of 10. And that usually is like me being in bed. I have to lay in a blanket and I have to watch movies and I get to eat and just be lazy for that day. But on every other day, my pain's a nine and I'm still going. Like I like to be active. I like to be productive. And I love posting on Instagram and creating my podcast because that's like a distraction. So okay. when I, I take advantage of the days that I'm not in pain or not Absolutely. as much in pain. Now you talked about your podcast, which I was going to come into next, as well as you have been said that you speak um, publicly. What is it that you speak about? What do you share? And what is your audience that you're sharing it with? Yes. So uh, my podcast is called Self Love Sister, and um, the main audience is it's supposed to talk about well, it talks about autoimmune disease and chronic illness, but. I think self-love is something that everyone needs to have. And that's why I think that my podcast, it can gravitate to anyone. It ta yeah, it talks about autoimmune disease and chronic illness, but because the main focus is self-love, I think, you know, that's something that everyone should learn. A hundred percent agree with you. A hundred percent. It doesn't have to be something happening in your life to find self-love. You're absolutely right. And I actually follow you, as you know, on your Instagram. And not so much on your podcast, but definitely on your Instagram. And I see your stuff, and it's just very uplifting in that short time that you do your, your little clips of stuff that you're being silly with, whether it's with your dogs or you're out and about doing what you're doing. 
Um, is there anything that I did not ask? Because I don't know your journey. I can only come up with questions I think that other people might come up with or I have of my own. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to be known about the autoimmune or the life of someone who has what you have as far as the autoimmune disease? I mean, to me, um, autoimmune disease is not a, like a death sentence. It does make living life a lot more difficult, obviously, with more challenges. But it's not a death sentence, which is why I share, you know, positive, uplifting messages in my day-to-day -day life on Instagram. Because I want to share with people that, you know, you can still live your life, I know, being 26, 25, actually, um, with, with these, you know, different challenges it's not impossible and you can still, I want to show to the world that you can still, you know, live a great life mm -hmm. having these and, you know, self-love is something that I learned at 21 and it's allowed me to be who I am today, which is share my story because without it, like before I would not tell a single soul about what I was going through and it was just eating me up and it didn't allow me to like fully live my life. You know, there's one thing I always say to people that just because something different has happened to you doesn't mean that you have to act different, be different, or be treated different. And it sounds like that's what you're doing and that comes to the self-love is not being ashamed or having a fear about the difference that you have versus someone who doesn't have what you have. Yeah, I, I always say like, I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just Kim and all these different challenges that come into my life it's not stopping me from being who i am no no um what is the name uh that they can someone can find you if they want to on instagram again and your podcast yes uh my instagram is strong underscore self-love i'm also on tiktok saying username and tiktok is like a chance to where like i can be more funny and more more after you can really see like you know the raw stuff and my podcast is self-love sister and it's on all platforms mm, okay perfect now i have a final question i don't know if you remember when i asked you in 2020 so if not then i'm going to have a new new response um <laughs> i always say that if there was one question i could ask someone and that's all i could ask them then i would get to make that decision as to what kind of person they are no no i'm just kidding i would get to know <laughs> someone faster by the one question because their response would be an automatic from the heart kind of thing so you ready for my final question oh yeah I'm born ready. <laughs> <laughs> Second chances and born ready. I love it. What message would you like to leave everyone based on your journey? You know, it's self-love. Because I feel like you can't love other people unless you love yourself. You can't give them the best version of yourself. And that, and that goes out to anyone, not someone just living with autoimmune disease and chronic illness. Would you say you had a difficulty at first when um, you weren't familiar with what this new norm is that you have now lived all these years versus oh, yeah. finding that self-love that you now are able to talk about? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, growing up, I used to be a very shy kid. I was very much, I kept to myself. I didn't share with anyone my struggles. Um, and so it wasn't until, you know, I got the strokes at 21 that, um, I was able to find self-love 
and that way I can be the best version of myself and, you know, show the world that, you know, it's not, it's going to be difficult, of course, but it's not impossible. I like that. Nothing's impossible. Thank you, Kimberly, for sharing not only your time, but your journey of your story with me once again. I really appreciate it. Oh, yes, definitely. And you already know, Christine, I'm here for you whenever you need. I love talking. I love these kind of interviews, just kind of like go to the flow. It's not a scripted interview, and that's what I love about it. You get the best version of myself. <laughs> well, you know, when I started doing this, I would have a bunch of questions because I wasn't sure what I was doing when I decided to do this a few years ago. And it just oh. didn't seem natural to get to know somebody by just saying, just ask a question as if you're sitting in front of them and you want to know, rather than it's scripted out and have, okay, I check that box, I check that box. So thank you. I, I feel that it's more authentic when you ask questions that you really have a curiosity, and I'm very curious. <laughs> Oh, yes, definitely. And I'm definitely looking forward to the next interview, hopefully in person. That would be great. And you have a beautiful smile. And I, I tell you that on your Instagram, you. I love watching your stuff. So thank you for sharing not only your light, but your smile that shares with everyone that, again, no matter what differences you're going through, you're still who you are and you can still have love and fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Um, if you have a story you want to share, know someone who has a story, or you're a nonprofit organization in your community making a difference, please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com. And once again, I want to thank my studio here at the Motivated Mind Group, your global creative agency located right here in downtown Chandler. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well, and you take care. <laughs>